Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today I'm having on Natasha McCrary from Mooresville, Alabama. She's the owner and operator of 1818 Farms. She started her business almost 10 years ago when one of her kids fell in love with the baby doll sheep. It was a breed of sheep that was almost extinct in America and they wanted to start a business with, I think, breeding sheep. At the time, she had no experience raising sheep or running a farm. She didn't grow up that way. But with a lot of hard work and learning lots of new things, she figured out how to make it work by combining a farm with a small business that would help cover the cost of the feed for the animals. The result was 1818 Farms, which is a working flower farm that's also a line of bath and lifestyle products. In 2019, she won Amazon's Woman-Owned Small Business of the Year Award which is such an honor. And so she has so much good advice when it comes to starting a small business. If you've wanted to start some kind of small business from your home or if you have a little homestead, she has a lot of wisdom to share. She talks about getting started in markets and all of the hours she put in there and then taking that into something a little bit more passive in the bath and beauty products. She talks about her flower farm, which is something that... A lot of people could start even from a small property. She talks about doing market research to make that successful. So if you are a person with an entrepreneurial spirit, which a lot of my listeners are, you're going to love this interview. So without further ado, let's jump in with Natasha McCrary from 1818 Farms. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Hey, Natasha, thank you so much for coming on the Simple Farmhouse Live podcast. I really want to talk about entrepreneurship and having a business when you have a family, whether it be young kids or any range there, you know, with that, because that's something that a lot of my listeners really like hearing about. And it's not often that I get to have conversations like that. And you have a lot of success with your business. So I would love to talk about that. Okay. So can you first just give us a brief intro of your farm? I did it or your, your businesses. Cause I know your farm's one of the aspects of it, but I did it in the intro, but I'd like to hear just from you, your just brief introduction. Sure. Uh, hey, Lisa, thanks for having me today. My name's Natasha McCrary, and I'm the owner of 1818 Farms located in historic Mooresville, Alabama. I like to always say it's population 58, and that is 58 people. It might be 53 with people in and out, but uh, yes, I'm an entrepreneur. Always been really an entrepreneur by spirit, but for the last 10 years, my focus has been on 1818 Farms, which really started as a family building project. I wanted to teach my kids about sustainability, uh, giving back to the land, and also really the basics of how you can start a business. We ended up, you know, where we are now, I would have never in my wildest dreams have thought 10 years ago, this is where we'd be today, but through, you know, goal setting, hard work, and lots of lots of obstacles over the years, but we seem to overcome them. We are here today and I couldn't be happier. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your story. So which aspect of your business did you start first? Because you have the baby doll sheep, you have the flower farm, and then you have all of the bath products. Which one of those was the first one? So the, initially, it was going to be more of an agritourism destination. And so a piece of that was the baby doll sheep. And when we started, if you're familiar with this breed, they were almost extinct in the 1990s. There were around 350 of these left in the United States. So that was, I couldn't think of a better project for my children than to learn about the history of this breed and what it means to preserve, you know, something that's important to the world. So that, you know, was a piece. And then also the agritourism was school groups and we taught planning and designing raised bed gardens, how to raise backyard chickens. And the hardest thing we've ever done is we did farmer's markets. And for anyone out there who's ever started a business at that point, we did four farmer's markets a week. And that was a lot of work, but that also, you know, all tied into teaching my kids. I'd had a raised bed before, but to really teach them how to do crop farming that was definitely the first piece. And people say, well, how did you end up in the product piece? And the product piece was 
in our zone, if you're growing vegetables, really you're going to be growing when you come from maybe harvesting April and then you're finishing, you know, around now this time of year. And there was a lot of downtime of, I still had many bills that had to be paid. And, you know, I really needing to feed the animals started making soaps was kind of our first thing. I think that's kind of anyone who's into a lot of people farming, that seems like what they do when they're, they're kind of looking to a season extension and a value-added product. And so it started with soaps, and we grew a lot of lavender, and so we used the lavender into like a bath soak. And just over time, you know, the products then grew out of things that I needed. So I never liked to wear gardening gloves, so I needed a cuticle balm, or my skin was always dry because of being outside in our climate here. So the shea cream came from there, which is now like the backbone of our line. So Luckily, I needed the money because I might not be here today, but the line actually allows us to do so many other things that we like to do here at the farm. Now, would you say that the the skincare line, that's your like bread and butter at this point? Oh, for sure. Uh, and it's funny, but the what I call the from the farm products, those are really, I'm always looking at a way to have zero waste here at the farm. And so, you know, each year we try and add something in new. So this year, the big thing we added in was we've always dried flowers because people say, why do you do flowers? Going back to when we did primarily produce is I can make revenue off flowers 12 months a year because we spend a big focus of what we do every day in the summer and spring mm-hmm. is we're harvesting. We have a drying room and you can kind of see if you're interested in drying flowers. We have a YouTube video that's pretty detailed you know, I've had a lot of trial and error until I've got like I've cracked the code on how to dry, you know, beautiful flowers so, you know, that's a piece also. So that maybe a few years ago, drying became like 2019, 2020 drying was. And then we took it a step further. We said, well, okay, let's press flowers. So from press flowers, we're using those into uh, botanical art, which is resin. And then we also, this past season, began doing botanical eco-printing. So we're taking those flowers to do that. So we're trying... Really, in any kind of business, you need to always, I feel like you shouldn't be satisfied with the one thing you're doing. You need to be thinking forward on what else can I do with the resources that I have. And that's that's the one thing about the farm is it's kind of like it all ties together because a lot of people maybe don't know about the skincare, but they know about the botanical dyeing or they know about the dried flowers. And that leads them back into a circle into the to the beauty product line. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you're able to find something that you can do in the off season of the farm in order to keep, you know, continue your revenue. If somebody would want to start a business from their farm or their homestead, is that the route? Like, do you feel like you went in the direction that you are now glad you did? Or is there anything looking back that you maybe would have changed in the trajectory of how your business has evolved? No, I totally do everything the same. I know that's rare that you have someone who says that, but to be where I am today, there's no way I would be here without the steps that, that path. And, you know, maybe sometimes when I lost 200 lavender plants, that didn't seem like the best thing there. And I transitioned over into a different flower crop. But I think everything to see where we are 10 years later, I wouldn't change anything. I think the hardest thing for an entrepreneur, and I think y'all probably see this too, is the society today we want immediate gratification. We want to, you know, everything to be perfect. We want to be making a lot of money. We want to be successful. But what I tell people is where I am today didn't happen overnight. It, it, it took me 10 years to get here. And there were bumps in the road, but I think you have to be able to plan and make adjustments. If something, I always tell people, if you're doing something and it's not working, stop digging that hole. You know, it's okay for things not to work out you're going to learn from that and then go to a different direction. So like for us, a big, uh, we have a flower truck. So that was a huge piece of what we did until 2020. And then we couldn't run the flower truck. So I could have said, ah, what am I going to do with, you know, all these thousands of flowers, but we pivoted to home delivery and then we pivoted to subscriptions. And now that's like the best thing we ever did. You know, we could have just sat there and said, oh, this isn't working. We're going to lose. What are we going to do? But you have to always make adjustments. And to be successful in business, the faster you are to do that, the more successful you're definitely going to be. Yeah. And did that come pretty naturally to you? Like, did you always know in your business when to pivot, when to quit something that wasn't working? Because sometimes I think there's a line between keep trying something because you just haven't actually gotten to that point yet where you're going to see all the results, but then also knowing when something actually isn't going to work. How do you figure all that out? Luckily, my husband and I work together and he's a master MBA in finance. So a lot of that 
the thing that happens is you have emotion tied to it and you need that person there who's like, okay, let's dig down and look at this number. <laughs> it's not working. And I think that that mm-hmm. happens with a lot of small business owners. If you're not emotionally tied to it, you're more than likely not going to be in that small business. And I think that's one reason people tend to fail is they get so emotionally tied to that idea. They're not able to say, step back and say, I need to do something different. So I, I really do think in those cases, which in the flower truck situation, I mean, all of us knew, okay, we can't run the truck. There's, there's, you know, restrictions. Right. We had to come up with a new plan. But, you know, sometimes maybe you have a product you think is going to be great and, you know, it's not that great. And then you think, do I want to continue these resources towards promoting this or do I want to, you know, come out with a new, you know, a different product that maybe will be more successful? Because, I mean, we've had things like that and you think they're going to be successful and they're not as successful as you think. You just have to know, chalk that up to a learning experience and move on to the next thing. Right, right. Yeah. I think with a lot of the listeners that I have, I have uh, blog education. So I teach people how to blog and have a YouTube channel. Sometimes it's not as straightforward because a lot of times it's not like a product that maybe failed. A lot of times it's just something that needs a bit of a tweak in order for it to end up being successful. Uh And sometimes it just takes time to build momentum. And so I think it is a, a balancing act and a lot of lessons to learn in figuring out when to pivot versus when you just need to give something a little bit more time. I think that can be challenging. You talked about losing 200, I think it was 200 lavender plants. Were there any other notable challenges that you faced when you started your business or over the years? And then also obviously COVID and the uh, flower truck. That's another one. Oh, yeah. Those lavender plants, that was tough because, you know, we were starting out as a lavender farm and building and they did well for like three years and we had a wet snow and it came and it just took the plants and it just pulled them down. I mean, and there was, you know, I had already trimmed them back. And, and at that point, one thing I had realized, I love growing lavender, but also how many flushes do you get? So it kind of went back to a financial thing. It's sure people love to come to a place that has beautiful lavender, but it came back down to a revenue you know, I would have kept growing it, but then you only have so much space. So that and the flower truck would probably be, you know, the big things that we had to really make some changes. And I think, you know, we sell our products wholesale, which means like, let's say you have a mom and pop or a brick and mortar store. They purchase wholesale from us and we sell direct to consumer. Uh, luckily for us, one thing we have always been, I would say forward thinking in is having a website that you can sell direct to consumer And had we not thought about that, that would have been, you know, detrimental to us during the pandemic because, you know, stores were shut down. So we went from 50% of our revenue going to zero in two weeks. So you have to always be thinking. And I I do think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm too scared. I can't have a website. And that's what I tell people. I don't care who you have to go to. If you have to find the, the high schooler or the college student, please go and build a website because, you have to have that. I, I mean, social media for us is a, I mean, that's how today their print media, a lot of print media, you know, it's just dead. And social media is so important. However, we don't own that real estate. Right. I mean, for all I know, tomorrow, social media is gone. You have to have a website. You have to have an email list. Like I've always gone on that. No mm-hmm. matter what you do, you have to have a website and you need an email list because then you own that piece of real estate. Whereas I think a lot of people, Social media is great for getting your name out there and you can do ads and promotion. But at the end of the day, you need to have that email list and a way for people to get traction straight to your website. I preach this constantly because I see a lot of people, especially focusing really heavily on Instagram only because it's I I don't want to say it's easy to build an Instagram following because it's not necessarily easy, but it is probably the most straightforward thing to do. You can just get the app, start posting. There really isn't a big learning curve when it comes to doing an Instagram account. But, you know, if you're a person whose Instagram gets hacked or, you know, the the platform goes black like it did for a day or two, like last week or two weeks ago or whatever, that could completely just devastate your whole business. So, What are some other ways that you'd recommend if somebody is starting out on an entrepreneurial journey when it comes to maybe something from their homestead or making soaps, diversify so that way they can, you talked about building a website. Do you just get like a simple mailing list like ConvertKit? Do you have any other ways that you've diversified for your business? Yeah. Well, and one way that we've really, we build our website, uh, our website was run through Shopify. 
that platform and we actually converted okay. our website. I think it was maybe in 2020 over, it was in a different, it was sort of like they were pieced together, but now it's all through Shopify. And, you know, that's a way through a purchase to, you know, have them opt in for an email. And I try back to social media to do a post and say, hey, do you want to be the first to know about our events? And that's one thing we do. So like we just ended a customer appreciation sale and that sale was private. And so it didn't go out online because we want our followers to get any new products that are out there to have first, you know, first dibs on that. Mm-hmm. When we announce all of our workshops in the spring and events, that goes to our priority email list. And so we like to give them priority. So that's kind of another way of saying if someone says, oh, the, the classes are sold out, the subscriptions are sold out, I say, well, are you on our email list? Because we give them priority. So that's kind of a way, I think, you know, if you're like, well, how much, what do I have to offer? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it can be the sales. It can be, you know, it can be different things that you're not just totally publicizing out there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of goes back into how you do that for sure. Yeah. I like that. That you give them something exclusive that only they get. That's actually getting my wheels turning on how I could get more people on my email list. Like maybe send out something that they only will get that you won't tell anybody else unless you're on the list. Those are really great tips. Taking a break to tell you about today's episode sponsor. You guessed it. I love them and share them all the time. Tubes and Co. Organic Skincare. If you are looking for clean, simple ingredients in your skincare, which you should be because our skin is our body's largest organ and what goes on the skin actually does make its way in. And so if you are picky about what you eat, you should also be picky about your skincare. I understand though that a lot of times organic and natural skincare, it just doesn't work as well. Your skin is left feeling dry or if it does feel moist, it maybe feels oily you want something that actually works. And the Tubes & Co. organic products, like their tallow balm, it's made from, obviously from an animal, from grass-fed tallow. Because of that, it actually does absorb in and do the intended purpose of moisturizing your skin. I also love their cleansers. I'm really loving their makeup. I find that the products are beautifully effective. So they are natural, they are organic, but they also work really well and don't leave me feeling like I have a bare face, which is not always a bad thing. I have that a lot too. But whenever I wear makeup, I want it to feel like I'm wearing makeup. I want to cover all of the imperfections in my skin. And I have found that in the foundation from Tubes & Co and the different bronzers and highlighters. I'm still getting better at figuring out how to actually apply makeup because that is not something that, I'm not a beauty guru, but I do like to look nice. Tubes & Co. is made in the USA, based in the USA, a small family company. If that's something you love to support like I do, make sure to go over to tubesandco.com. Use the code FARMHOUSE for a discount. Again, tubesandco.com. Use the code FARMHOUSE. Now, did you start the business whenever you had younger kids? I think your son maybe was eight whenever you started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yes, they were very young. So, well, my middle was eight. The youngest was about to be five. And then the oldest would have been around 10. And so 10 and a half. So I can totally relate to every mom out there. It is hard to balance when they're that age, because Mm -hmm. as you know, if you're running your own business, there are no vacation days. There are, you know, <laughs> emergencies happen. You know, the lamb, the sheep needs help in the middle of the night to have the lamb. I mean, it's always something. So I, you know, looking back, I was funny when I was, you know, had your email, I thought, how did I even balance that? <laughs> like, I'm like, it's a blur of how I balance that. But I think too. Yeah, it's a blur. <laughs> it's a blur. It is a blur. But I tried to include them at a small age of like gathering the eggs or, you know, helping you know, greet guests, or even at this age, you know, they were fl- delivering flowers, or I have my daughter helping with designing some resin pieces because she's very artistic. So as a small, you know, I tried to have them be involved as much as I can, but you also had to balance in, they have activities. So I feel like that, I feel mm-hmm. for every mom out there, it's okay to feel overwhelmed because I, I know now I probably, I have like 
a 16, 19, and almost 23-year-old, it's hard for me to imagine that. But I think it's trying to still give them time that they need and set boundaries because, you know, you need to be able to go to the baseball game and you need to be able to go to the softball game. They're only going to be small once. And I know that's hard, but you mm-hmm. yeah. you can balance it. It's just you have to be, you have to really put restrictions in and be pretty forceful with those restrictions. I know this year, even for me, 10 years in, I feel like I missed a lot of things because trying to build the brand, I'd be in Atlanta for two weeks. I'd be in Las Vegas. I'd be at these shows, you know, usually I'd be at a week in Mississippi at a show, a week in Nashville at a show, a week in Richmond at a show. All those things. We were lucky if our Christmas tree is at like December 20th. I feel like I've missed a lot of things over those years to get where I am. But even this year I said, okay, you know what? I know people like to come to workshops on Saturday. I'm having one workshop on Saturday. The rest are during the week. Because I have missed so many things, and you're kind of getting at that age now where I had one going to college and one at that age where I, I didn't want to miss those things. So, you know, it's a balance. You know, you have to build the business, and you have to be open to do that, and you have to have to be dedicated, but you also don't want your children to resent the, that part of you never, you know, not being able to be there. Yeah, Absolutely. So in the early parts of your business, when you were doing farmer's markets and then you invited people out to your farm to observe and that kind of thing, how many hours did you say or do you think that you were putting in each week in order to get the ball rolling on that to build up some momentum? Oh, that is I used to tell people just the amount of labor we put in for the farmer's markets was 40 hours. That's not counting. Really? Taking care of the animals. Oh, yeah, because the farmer's markets are usually from like let's say four to eight, there's four of those, there's 16 hours straight there, you know, set up breakdown. And then the cut, at that point we did a lot of vegetables. So the harvesting, the cleaning them, you know, all that, I would tell people, I was like, that's before I've done dinner, laundry. I mean, it was a lot of, the farmer's markets for anyone who Mm -hmm. does that, I have a total respect for you. We did it one season and then we were able to grow enough to have a different revenue stream, (laughs) but it's a lot of work, the farmer's markets. Right. And it's hot and but you make great contacts there. My sister does them. Oh, yeah. So she understands. Yeah. So how did you go from going doing the farmer's market? That's where you got your start. You had to build up uh-huh. some contacts. You had to maybe make a little bit of quick revenue. How did you then invest that in to move on to something that maybe was a little bit less time consuming? Yeah. So what I did is that first year, the winter, when I had time all or you know time that I wasn't able to have visitors or birthday parties or those kind of things at the farm is I started with the products and gifted them. And then people said, Oh, I love that. Can I get more of it? So then someone who had gifted someone, another person who worked in a gift shop said, that is so great. I love your packaging. Would you be interested in wholesaling? And I was like, well, sure. And then people would come into the store and another person would, you know, another salon wanted it. So that's really when I realized I'm going to be able to invest different kind of hours and have a better return on that investment, if you know what I'm saying. Because sometimes at a farmer's market, I could do all that work, mm-hmm. and then you make like $25, or you could make $400. Do you see what I'm saying? So it was <laughs> it's a better, you know, a better investment right. of my time. And it just turned out, you know, I always tell people when you're bringing your product out, study everything you can to make the packaging great. Of course, you want the product to be great because you have one first impression. And if the first impression is poor, they're probably not going to buy your product again. But put every ounce of your being in it to make sure that you have the best packaging. Because all things equal, two products internally are the same. The best packaging wins every time. I mean, you think about yourself. If you go into something, you're going to always select the best packaging. So we spend a lot of time when we're developing a product, tons of hours on that. But also thinking Mm -hmm. of how does the aesthetic of the packaging fit into our brand. And I think that's that's yeah. a part that I see new people who are in the uh, this industry that we're in and I'm like, okay, they don't have the labeling correct. They the font, you know, I just look right. at it and I think, you know, and I think I don't think that it's I think some people just don't realize that. The best yeah. packaging, all things equal, will always win. Yeah. Well you think about just a sweater and one comes from a place that has a little tiny logo on it, and it's from the store that you think is just a little bit better. And to you, it's perceived as so much more valuable just because it's in the context of this store that's kind of fancy and curated. 
Therefore, it's a whole buying experience because of the marketing, even though you're really getting the exact same thing. Like it could have came out of the same exact factory, Mm -hmm. but the way that you perceived it because it came from this whole experience of the way you bought it is going to make all the difference. And I was thinking when you were saying that about an example from my world, which would be a YouTube thumbnail, you can spend so much time making this really beautiful video, but when people scroll through YouTube, the thumbnail itself is the packaging for the video. And if they don't click on it, they're never going to see it. And I think a lot of times people do underestimate how important that is to actually get people to try the video, you know, try your product, the packaging Mm -hmm. so important. So I can definitely understand what you're saying there. Now, did you, whenever you made a little bit of money from your farmer's markets, did you then take that money and then invest it into like a graphic designer? Or were you guys doing a lot of that package development yourself? We did it all. We do it all ourselves. Uh, my mother-in-law actually does the pencil sketches. Like if you go on our website and you can kind of see like the farm animals or the cover girls and the cover guys. So luckily she mm-hmm. does the sketches. Usually we develop the product and then in my mind, I think, well, how could I tie that back into the farm? Wow. And then yeah. we have just a local, you know, just mom and pop printer that we have worked with them for, you know, since the beginning. And I go in with the ideas and we just kind of churn it out. So they're great to you know, it's just a hole in the wall place, but they are a huge part of our success is that they care about their customers and they want them to be successful. So yeah, we did all, we've done all that internally, but my background was marketing. So I think that helps a little bit too. Oh, nice. You have to be thinking about what's, like you said, what's going to catch the consumer's eye and clean lines. It's, and aesthetically it has to all look nice in a display. Like you can kind of see behind Mm -hmm. me, I have sort of a setup here in our, in my office, it's, it's making the brand cohesive, yeah. tying everything together. Like our soapbox is a picture of the sunflower with the sheep, you know, grazing. You may have the sweet pea on our shea cream, or you have the little pig on that gets in the bath truffles because the pigs dig for truffles and mm-hmm. but it's for your bath, a candy for your bath. So we're always thinking of how to tie the whole line together and make it look beautiful at the same time. Yeah, that's so important. How has your business grown over the years and how did you know when to invest in it to grow? So adding new employees, new equipment. I'm not sure how you manufacture all of your bath products and whatnot, but how did you know when to move on to the next step? Yeah, you sort of know when there's, well, the first thing you know when you can't do, when you can't produce it all, it's time to bring someone in. And that to me is the hardest challenge today is bringing employees in because until they become experienced, you're never going to reach scale. If you can't reach scale, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to keep your profit margins where they need to be. I mean, you, you know, if you have someone who can make 2000 of something in a day and someone who can only make 200 in a day, you know, you have a lot of labor costs. So we have taken things slowly. So the first Atlanta market we went to, which is like a ho- the wholesale market they have them in uh, Las Vegas, New York now. There's a few, but Atlanta is closest to us. So we maybe signed up 10 wholesale accounts. And at that point, you know, we had a few other wholesale accounts. So we've gone from there to we're at like 550 now, but we've gone slowly. And and you just sort of know at, at running the numbers of, hey, what can I afford to bring in? But you also have to balance, you know, it's a lot of forecasting and extrapolating. And over years, if you're good at that, you know, best predictor of the future is the past. So we can kind of look at growth and we can look at numbers and kind of know, you know, COVID kind of was an odd year because our online went up so much where we had, you know, wholesale lower, but you're able to kind of know, hey, I'm going to need another employee. And especially sometimes that goes into like with the pressed flower resin, like I thought it was going to be popular, but I had no idea it was going to be this popular. And we pretty much need one person that that's all they're doing is they're pouring resin every day. Oh, wow. So it's a lot of supply and demand of knowing, okay, what's demand and how can I supply that? You know, if it had not been that popular, then no, we might not need that person who's going to be there. And so much of the time is spent specifically on that. But it also goes back into you want to diversify. And I'm trying to bring products to the market that there is an unmet need. Because that's another way. I was saying it needs to be one one first impression Mm-hmm. It needs to be a great product, but also you don't want to just say, okay, I'm going to do such and such. And you're in a market that's, you can't differentiate yourself. So that's why really we went into this a resin side. It's a great way to bring 
nature inside, and that's another way to tie in our zero waste with the pressing of the flowers. Right. You know, it's just another avenue for a revenue stream. Yeah. I feel like what you're saying is just whenever you start on this path, you kind of know at each step when it's time to take the next step, but it's really hard to explain to somebody from the very beginning what that might look like. A lot of people want to have their, you know, five years completely planned out ahead of them. But I think with business, sometimes you just have to learn how to adapt and grow as you go. So I think that's some very good advice. Taking a quick break from this awesome conversation to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Azure Standard. If you have followed my channel for any amount of time, you've probably heard of Azure Standard. They are essentially a co-op based model for ordering organic groceries, meat, staple items for your pantry in your home. I have been an Azure customer for probably over a decade now. With Azure Standard, you find a local drop point, which likely will be pretty close to you because they have drops all over the country. And with that bulk purchase, you are getting a discounted price. So several people in your community will order at the same drop by 50 pound bags of wheat or oats or smaller quantities too. I like to get things like honey and spices and cheese. They have products that a lot of times I can't find at my local grocery store. So things like organic raw cheese, that's something that I simply cannot get locally. There's also good prices on things that aren't food. So I will pick up the lids for my five gallon buckets that I like to store my grains in from Azure Standard. Flour, spices, packaged meat, produce, whatever's in season, organic and inexpensive sourcing right there on Azure Standard. Azure Standard is offering a 10% off code for my listeners by using the code SIMPLEFARMHOUSE10. This is on orders over $50 that are delivered to your local drop. If you've been on the fence about checking out Azure Standard, make sure to go to azurestandard.com, use the code, find your local drop. You'll meet up with some awesome families in your community who also are passionate about living a healthy lifestyle and get really great pricing. Again, that's azurestandard.com and use the code SIMPLEFARMHOUSE10. Okay, it's okay for this one if you don't have one, but I thought I would ask you, What's the biggest underrated opportunity in business and things that you've tried in your opinion? The biggest underrated opportunity is definitely, I think, being customer centric, customer focused. Like I think a lot of times people are doing all these, like this customer appreciation sale. Like the response we received, I did like a video out in the field at the farm. I did a timeline mm -hmm. of what's happened in the last 10 years and really from my heart thanking them, like we wouldn't be here where we are. Today, I think a lot of times it's people not focusing on the customers you have in your hand. And sometimes, I mean, of course, we all want to be looking for new customers, but it's also nurturing and developing those relationships with the existing customers that you have, which ties back into the email list. You know, it's like a big circle there. Mm -hmm. But I feel like sometimes people take for granted those customers that you have and you need to be nurturing relationships with them. And, you know, a lot of times word of mouth from those customers is what causes growth. So I wouldn't overlook that. I think a lot of people kind of do that. And, you know, they're always looking for how am I going to grow? How am I going to grow? How am I going to grow? Well, you may just go dive deeper, get them interested in more pieces of your line. Yeah, that's a really good point. Developing relation or f furthering the relationship you already have with the customers who already trust you that I can see how that's a really huge opportunity. How have you seen your family business help your family and what lessons did your lifestyle teach? So, and, and also to piggyback on that, how have you incorporated like your kids helping? You talked about your daughter doing some design for you. Were your kids always involved or was it something that you felt like as a mom, you had to get rolling and then you could bring them in later whenever there was something that you already had for them to do? No, we, we've always had... Yeah, we've always had small ways, whether it's serving at a farm-to-table dinner. I mean, people thought that was so interesting that the kids were the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were working, too, but that they helped at the farm-to-table dinners or parking cars at events or delivering flowers or building bouquets, running the flower truck, like my middle son, and they've all run, helped run the flower truck. So I think one thing I think it's helped them learn is what type of boundaries and what type of lifestyle do you want in the future? Like my oldest, he doesn't want to own his own business. I mean, he's seen that on Christmas morning, you have to go feed the animals. On vacation, if something happens, 
you're going to get the phone call. And so not that he doesn't love what we do and he's proud of us. And he's learned a lot from seeing how we've grown a business. But I think he saw in his life, he wanted to have a job where he could go into the office and then come home and not bring that home with him. It gives you different opportunities. You know, I hope that uh, like our middle son did all the routing for, it's very important when you're, when you're delivering bouquets and they're all, you know, a huge radius, like, or understanding routing, understanding, you know, financially how it makes a difference if you keep everyone tight together. So you basically have really just had to help them find Mm -hmm. things. And I think within that business, they may have seen something they like. Like my daughter is interning with someone who carries our product line because, you know, she could be interested in opening a gift shop one day. So she's seen that side. They, you know, she helped me last Friday at a pop-up that we've done, we did. From the financial side, learning about cash flow, you know, we talk about a lot of those things we talk about, you know, this is why fourth quarter is important and mm-hmm. explaining cash flow. So I think there's been so many teaching opportunities yeah. uh, for anyone in business. There is, you just have to, some things we just do day to day, we don't think about, but if you sit down and have dinner and you have those conversations, it's a great way to introduce them to business and to see what they like and don't like, because at the, at the end of the day, I just want them to do something like what we do is extremely hard work, you know, especially the physical part of a flower farm is Nothing is mechanized. Everything is done by hand. Right. But I love that. But for the person who loves to be in the office, that would be their nightmare. <laughs> um, so I think it's just like, you know, exposing them to as many different uh, facets of the business as you can and let them see what they like and don't like. There's so many different learning opportunities there. You mentioned several that I hadn't even thought of that you could bring your kids into. And also I was going to mention that my kids would have loved that <laughs> to have like a farm to table dinner where they go around and serve people. That'd probably be their dream come true. That sounds so fun. Oh, yeah. They loved it. And it's funny. Like, I know when we transferred, remember I told you we went from our old website platform to Shop Shopify. My middle son helped move all those blogs over. And he was like, y'all have gotten a lot better at this. It was Those were not very good in the beginning. So it's funny, just little things like that. You think transferring over, you know, let him see how the farm has changed and grown and um, well, number one, the pictures are a lot better now because the camera, you know, when we first started, you know, you had to go sk- scan a picture <laughs> in practically. So, but I think those kind of things, you may not even be thinking it's that much. I mean, have your kids key in an email list. If you're like, who's going to put an email list in? That's, I mean, they can do data entry and teach them the importance of that. So I think you sometimes have to think outside the box of what, uh, what's a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're giving me a lot of ideas here because there's, there's a lot of things with my business that. I might think that I'm saying out loud, but really probably the kids have no idea that there's even that aspect of it that I could be more intentional about telling them about. So yeah, that gives me some really good ideas. What are your favorite tasks in your business and what things will you never hire out because you love them? Even if it doesn't make sense, like I have some things in my business that it really would make more sense to hire out, but I personally love doing them. Okay. I love teaching the workshops. That's like my favorite thing that we do. And I would never hire that out. I love harvesting flowers. I mean, I know that sounds silly. And sometimes you're like, why is the owner of the company out there with the, you know, the holster with her clippers and clipping away? But I get my best thinking done out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, social media, I'll never hire that out. I've been approached so that a lot. It's different for some people than it is for us because a lot of ours isn't planned. It's in the moment. I think that's what makes ours more interesting. Like, I don't know I'm going to go down and this flower is going to be in bloom. I don't know this sheep's going to do this. This chicken's going to do this. This happens at the right. office. So a lot of mine is spontaneous. And I know that makes a lot of listeners cringe that I could never do that. But for me, it's about, I truly want to share something that I think is important to share versus trying to create content to have content. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, you know, some people sit down and plan six Mm -hmm. months out. Well, I had no idea I'd have this beautiful piece of resin indigo jewelry. I couldn't have told you that two months ago because I didn't even know I was going to do that. I don't know we're going to be pulling, you know, unmolding your resin. So, right. Yeah. But our business is very different from someone who is a straight out, like just retail business. You probably could do that more, but ours is more of telling a story. Yeah. In your day, you're trying to share a farm life right. uh, along with some products here and there. But uh, it's mm-hmm. more, I think, of not a vlog, but you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to show what's happening. You know, we open it, yeah. uh, do an eco printing. I don't know what's going to happen because a lot of times we're not even sure what's going to happen ourselves. So 
the social media for me is a big, big thing. I don't think I could ever turn over. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you actually enjoy doing that aspect of it. If it wasn't something that you enjoyed and it was taking, putting a lot of stress on you that was taking away from other parts of the business, maybe you'd figure out how to do that. But it sounds like that's something that's one of the most enjoyable aspects of your business for you. Yes. <laughs> okay. So what are some aspects that you dislike and that you had to hire out or, you know, maybe at some point give to your husband or your kids? What's the, the worst? Oh, the worst is when we flip the flower fields because we uh, landscape fabric everything and you have to pull all that up with the staples and pull out air, all the irrigation till put it all back down within a few days. It is the worst, but we can't really hire it out because there's just <laughs> enough of us to do that. And then we know how to, to do that task. So that is something yeah. I really, all of us dislike it, but we know we have to do it, you know, because we're flipping those crops. That yeah. is one. And I really dislike hiring people because I think it's stressful. I think we have great employees we've had for a long time. And we, when we do need to bring that next person in, I think it's stressful because I mm -hmm. don't think you have the loyalty maybe you had 10 years ago. There's a lot of job bouncing. Mm, yeah. And that gets back into how am I going to reach scale if I don't have someone here? I know like the lady who's been with me for like one on her fourth year, the second season in flowers, she's like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier. This is so much easier than last year. You know, and I was like, because you didn't know any of that. Or, you know, right. if you have to teach that every season, it's hard to get ahead, it's hard to make milestones if you're having to, you know, reteach, you know, your motto is usually you hire two and you hope one stays, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we really want to hire two and two stay. So I think that is for right. me, hiring employees is never my favorite thing, but, and I hate to say that as, as a business owner, but I'm being honest. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. I find it very difficult too. I have found for my team, a handful of just absolute gems, but then I've also, I've, it's, it's very tricky <laughs> and it's harder and it, to get yes. to the point where the person is actually an asset to you, you know, not taking more of your time than they're taking off your plate is there's a definite long time in that. And so, yeah, I do find that to be a challenge too. I still think it's really worth it when you find the right person and you get past that phase, it's really worth it, but it, it, it does not happen every time. Like you mentioned, maybe like yes. two to one or something. It's definitely harder than it sounds. <laughs> yes. What tips would you give if somebody has either a homestead or even just they want to start some kind of business just from their home? What are some tips or main tips that you would give for somebody who wants to get started if maybe they've never tried anything at all? Well, first I would do, like I was saying earlier, make sure what you're wanting to do, there is a need for that. You know, make sure, like, if you're going to start a flower farm, make sure the person next door to you doesn't have a flower farm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it sounds simple. Then then ensure that you have funds mm -hmm. to support this. Because I think a lot of times people get started and don't realize there are, even in today, working from home, there are startup costs. And you don't, you know, you want to be able to have, like, your little nest egg to get that started. And going back to that, I would say, you know, get your social media account set up, the email list set up website. And uh, a huge thing that I know people think this sounds crazy, but no, you're going to need to accept a credit card. The number of people that I go to at a farmer's oh, market yes. are here and they're like, we only take cash. We only take, no, you would not believe. They're like, we don't want to pay the fee. And I'm like, well, I never have cash. You need to have that. That That is just that. I'm sorry, but that's so you have to take a credit card. Like we even had a little homeschool makers market where my kids set up and we had a, a square and I'm like, I know that if we're setting up here, there's just no way we're going to get very many transactions if we're only accepting cash. But yes. do you come across that a lot? Yes, I come across it a lot and it's surprising, but I'm like, I promise you, if you take the credit card, you're going to make more money at the end of the day. And also I, a lot of oh, new yeah. flower, a lot of new flower farmers, I see, oh, you know, they told me they were going to buy it. And then I got the bouquet and they didn't, they didn't buy it. You know, I delivered it always take payment first. You know, you that's why you need to have that mm. website is if you're going to do subscriptions, you know, have the payment up front. Uh, sadly, that sometimes that happens, but I hate to see someone put things out there and start with little, like you said, like a homeschool market or a church market, or when we really had our first, uh, it was like called under the Christmas tree. And it was a school that had this. And that's kind of, you know, we had this store that carried our products and we really were able to set up a nice display. And, you know, you know, those don't cost a lot of money. But that's also a way to see how 
mm-hmm. products are going to be received. And don't be discouraged. Like I said, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I need to sell out every time or I need, you know, I have these expectations is nothing happens overnight. You're going to have to take baby steps and keep your eye on your end goal and kind of, you know, know it, it takes a little bit of time, word of mouth, and just make sure you are producing a quality product because you are not going to get repeat sales mm-hmm. if the product is not not high quality. You're just it's just not going to happen. And, and the packaging, you know, I'm a particular on a label being straight. A I'm OCD on just little things that most people wouldn't think, but I see them, and it has to be a certain a certain way where it's a bow tied a certain way. It's I, I saw something the other day. They had a beautiful packaging, but the ribbons were frayed on the ends where they tied it and just took scissors. Like little things like that make an impression. So make sure Mm -hmm. you're thinking about those things that you may not really be thinking about that somebody like me may be like, oh, I don't know if I want that. So, you know, just there's a lot of little things like that. Yeah. I I feel like people want something that is handmade, but not homemade. And a lot of those little details that you're explaining to me make the difference between something that feels like a a better product than something that is thrown together and homemade, something that you can tell has had a lot of intention into the all the little details of it. Okay, you mentioned market research. I'm curious, just if somebody does want to start a flower farm, how do you figure that out? So if somebody thinks, you know, I'm going to start a flower farm because that sounds fun. What would you recommend just for this one particular example? We don't have to go into all the different kinds of businesses, but for a flower farm, what would you bare minimum look into before doing that? Well, number one is make sure you're, you're zoned correctly. And I know that may sound crazy, but you know, there's some people that try and run a business out of their house and they're zoned residential. So zoning is really important. Make sure you have your, you know, what type of licensing you're going to have to have, which, you know, can tie into the zoning. And then you need to really start small, you know, I started so much smaller than we are now, but find something that you know you can grow well so you're going to have success. Um, you know, you need to have, think about how am I going to prepare the ground? Do I have a tiller? Uh, what am I going to do about irrigation? There's a lot of just basic things, soil, uh, seed, those kind of things you have to think of off, you mm-hmm. know, at the beginning. Then you're going to think about, okay, who's going to buy my flowers? Because I think there's nothing more discouraging than people who grow them and then they have no market for them. So that needs to tie back into your marketing. So I would always tell someone when you're first starting, you know, try and start small, maybe offer some, find some subscriptions. Or if you, some people want to grow for florists and, you know, get your product, but it has to be great product and take it into the florist. You know, take a bucket complimentary and say, you know, here's what I'm going to be doing. Do you have any need for this? And also, believe it or not, think about colors. We color block our fields, but of course, there are some flowers that I love, but there is no market for them in the wedding design. I mean, there are not a lot of red and oranges when they're having weddings. So you also sometimes people say, well, I don't like to grow this. Well, you need to think about what's selling Mm -hmm. and not what you like to grow, because there's a lot of things that I don't love to grow, but we grow because I know they're going to sell. Right. So it's a lot of research and invest in yourself. Right, um, right. I think you need to invest. There's some great online workshops. There's tons of YouTubes that you can watch. And maybe if you say, I want to just grow zinnias, I want to grow gramferina, I want to grow, you know, find a few things that you want to grow, get yourself comfortable, make sure there's a market because there is a lot of expenses to go in when you go all out in a flower farm and you don't want to be, have a waste of that. So start small and then, cause you can grow from every year and, and like, depending on where you are, like, all of our tunnels are out. We'll start harvesting in February. We go from February to November. Uh, depending on your zone, you know, there's a lot of different flowers that can grow at different times, depending on where you are in the United States. So you have different opportunities. What I find is the more successful we are in growing flowers at the time of years when other people can't. Mm-hmm. So the average home gardener doesn't realize I just planted everything a month ago that I'm going to be pulling in March, April, May, and they don't have mm-hmm. those flowers. But those flowers in the summer, everyone has. So their value is looked down upon. You know, they have a lower Mm -hmm. value because everyone feels like they could grow that. So maybe you kind of bookend it and you do something that's maybe early season tulips. And then maybe you do dahlias where you are. I mean, you maybe that's that's also a strategy is if you're going to start in to start when there is a time that other people don't have those things. The hardest time for a flower farmer, period, is July and August when everything's at peak because people are on vacation uh, it's a hot summer, you know, uh, 
And then it's a lot of things that other growers can grow, just the home gardener. Huh. That's opposite of what you would think if you were just going right into it. But that makes a lot of sense on your explanation of why that would be. So it comes down to doing a lot of research on who you're going to sell to, whether it's florists at markets, maybe to brides, and then figuring out when other people don't have all their flowers growing, which flowers aren't being grown locally. Yeah, that all seems like very smart due diligence. Yeah, and what we do in those months of July and August, we focus heavily on workshops, on-site workshops, because people are looking for experiences there, and we're also churning out our subscriptions. Mm -hmm. But that's the time when the flower field is, as far as you can look, there's flowers, and people love coming and learning how to build a bouquet. So there's another way, if you do decide you want to grow, mm -hmm. maybe add in workshops, which I know that's another whole animal. People are terrified sometimes to have people out to their location, but I promise what you see and they see are probably two different things. But that's another way just to, in those months, not just tie into, oh, I'm growing things other people can grow, but I'm offering you an experience that you can't right. have anywhere else. Yeah. And everything's in full bloom and beautiful. And maybe a lot of those flowers you can't really sell because of all the other reasons you mentioned. But now people can experience what it looks like to have an overgrown, beautifully flowers, flowers everywhere garden. So I think that's a really good mm -hmm. way to diversify. Well, you've shared so many good tips and inspiration for anyone who wants to start a business from their farm or just in general. I think you can draw a lot of ideas from this, even for any kind of business. Where can everyone find you to get more information, follow up more on your tips and your farm or shop your bath and beauty products? Oh, surely. So um, 1818farms.com, just 1818farms.com is our website. 1818 Farms is also our, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And you can also find us on YouTube at 1818 Farms where we have a lot of flower tutorials. Uh, you can see a little bit more about behind the scenes of how we make the products. And probably my most exciting thing that we grew last year is we grew the loofahs, the gourds that are dishcloth. So we have a new video about that. It's kind of cool. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, I'm looking through YouTube now and there looks like a lot of stuff that my listeners would be very interested in checking out. Well, thank you so much, Natasha, for joining us and sharing all of your wisdom and inspiration of being an entrepreneur over the last 10 years. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Lisa. All right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this interview and this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Make sure to go check out 1818 Farms, browse through all of her products and then her YouTube videos where you can see the happenings on the farm, which look really fun and inspirational. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast.